0: Coming up, it's philosophy talk. Hello, Hello. We're, we're glad, glad you, you made, made it. it. Welcome, Welcome to, to the future.
1: We constantly form expectations
0: about the future. Are we justified? Are we good at it? I like the future.
2: I'm in it. I'm not sure. <laughs> Personally, I'm very pleased. <laughs> no, I think it's going to be all right. I can dig it. <laughs> How do I like the future? Well, the future's not here
1: yet, man. <laughs> Our guest is Nassim Taleb, author of The Black Swan, The Impact of the
0: Highly Improbable. His thesis, History is a Sequence of Black Swans, of Unexpected, Highly Improbable, but Highly Consequential Events. The future is fun. The future is there.
1: They already have won. They already be there.
0: Predicting the future, coming up on Philosophy Talk, after the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW in San Francisco.
1: Continuing conversations that began at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus.
0: Today, predicting the future with Nassim Taleb, author of the best-selling and controversial book, The Black Swan.
1: School boards, stock market gurus, actuaries, bookies, climatologists, meteorologists, and demographers, they're all in the business of predicting the future. But is the future really as predictable as we think? Is our confidence in knowing what the future will bring a mere illusion? Are these guys really just charlatans and frauds? If the future is less predictable than we imagine, how do we plan for it?
0: We'll tackle these questions in three parts. We'll begin by following the lead of the great philosopher David Hume and cast a skeptical eye on our ability to predict the future. Hume said, Believing that the future will be like the past isn't grounded in either experience or reason. Maybe Hume was right. In part two, we'll
1: take up Nassim Taleb's idea that the future is shaped by a sequence of black swans. That is a sequence of highly improbable, but highly consequential events that forever alter the course of things. We'll ask him why it's important that we're now living in what he calls the land of extremistan, Although we evolved in what he calls the land of Mediocristan.
0: Finally, we'll take up the practical question of how we're supposed to go about living in extremistan, a world governed more by chance and randomness than uh, many of us are prepared to admit.
1: But, Ken, let's start by getting straight about your reasons for skepticism about our ability to predict the future. After all, we seem to be pretty good at it. I bet you're confident that the sun will rise tomorrow. I bet you have plans for after the show. Yeah,
0: I'm going to go and uh, coach uh, my son's baseball game after the show.
1: Yeah, and I bet you think that your son will, in the future, as he has in the past, obey your every word. <laughs> I bet you think that if he hits the uh, uh, the ball with the bat, the ball will take off in an opposite and equal whatever uh, I'm sure you think the field is in the same place it was yesterday. So, aren't you predicting the future all the
0: time? Well, yeah, but here's here's my reason for for, for being skeptical. Uh, look, I want to predict the future. What do I have to go on? Well, I've got the past and the present. Okay, how can I be how can I use that to predict the future? If I think the past and the present are guides to the future, but how can I be confident of that? I mean. I, It's not logical, because if I think, well, the past and present are like that, so the future must be like that, uh, it could be different, right? And it's not experience that teaches me that the past will be like the present. I haven't experienced the future, Uh, past will be like the future. I haven't experienced the future yet. Uh, Your buddy Hume taught us that, John.
1: Yes, that's right. Hume puts us in this dilemma. Does our our belief that the future will be like the past come on the basis of experience or reason? Well, it's on the basis of reason. It must be some kind of logical truth that the future will be like the past, but it's obviously not, because we can conceive of it being quite different. Did we learn it from experience? Well, we have experienced many past pasts and many past futures, and the past futures have, by and large, been like the past pasts. So can't we, by induction, assume that future futures will be like future past? But the question of induction is what's at issue. So it seems pretty hopeless.
0: Yeah. So so and and, and on the practical grounds, think of how many times people are wrong about the future. I mean, think of all the the, the acquaintances or friends who turned out utterly different from what you thought they were on the basis of the, your past with them. Or think of all the wise men, the so-called wise men, who failed to see the collapse, foresee the collapse of the Soviet Union, failed to anticipate the <laughs> Iraqi insurgency, failed to. Uh, anticipate the collapse of the stock market or the bursting of the dot-com bubble, we're often wrong about the future, John.
1: Well, the, my most confident thing about the future is that the same idiots that have been wrong, the same talking heads have been wrong for year after year, will continue to be on the same shows for year after year, which leads to the question, why make future plans at all? But there are people that are experts at this, who make their living by trying to give us a picture of the very distant future. Our roving philosophical reporter, Zoe Corneli, went out and talked to someone involved in some very long-term planning.
3: Think about something a really long time from now. No, longer than that. I'm talking your grandchildren's grandchildren's grandchildren are long dead. That's the kind of time frame Alexander Rose and the Long Now Foundation are trying to get people to think about.
2: A 12-hour dial that you see in most clocks is not very relevant for our type of clock.
3: They're building a millennium clock designed to last 10,000 years. That's as long as human civilization has existed.
2: Our dials show a lot of celestial events, planets, stars, um, as well as the Gregorian year in five digits.
3: In other words, right now it's 0-2007. The group plans to put the clock inside a mountain in eastern Nevada. The sun's rays will hit it at the same time every day, ensuring that it keeps the correct time.
2: Basically, we only have to engineer the clock to be accurate enough to last through any non-sunny time, um, which could be as long as a year or two, um, based on historical records uh, from either meteor impacts or volcanic eruptions, potentially man-made events like nuclear winters as well.
3: Visitors will provide energy by winding the clock. Rowe says the goal of this project is to shift the way people think about the future.
2: Environmental issues, uh, educational issues, hunger around the world, these are all problems that um, are impossible in four years, but if you look at them as 50, 100 year or even longer problems, then they are potentially uh, solvable. And so we're trying to provide that kind of frame, at least if people see us doing a crazy 10,000 year project, maybe they would rein it back and do a It's more sensible 100-year project.
3: With global warming, wars, and the dizzying pace of technological advances, how can we imagine what things will be like in our own lifetime, let alone 10,000 years from now? But Rose says we shouldn't give up on the future.
2: I think fundamentally our project is about hope. We will be here, it's it's likely, we will be here in the next 10,000 years, so what are the choices that we make now that make that that next 10,000 years uh, a better one instead of a worse one. Um, that becomes a pretty easily definable thing uh, fairly quickly. Things like cutting down an old growth redwood forest very obviously cannot be replaced on the commercial scale that it's being harvested at. So therefore, you know, that's a choice that's taking something away from a future. It starts to change your perspective in that way.
3: While the millennium clock is ostensibly about the future, Rose says it doesn't really matter whether it actually lasts 10,000 years.
2: It's a piece of theater, in a sense, but um, at the same time, it's it's an extremely real effort. We're not kidding around. We're still very much building it, and what it does to the present generations, um, I think, is more valuable. Whether or not they see it, if they just know that it exists and it becomes a meme that they can work with, that's the real value.
3: In a sense, Rose says, the clock will provide a way for us to communicate with people we'll never live long enough to meet.
2: We don't have very many 10,000-year traditions or stories at this point, but um, if the memory of humanity continues, then it will certainly develop.
3: For Philosophy Talk, I'm Zoe Corneli.
0: You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music, Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.